Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, March 11th, and we're talking financials. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and on today's show, we're going to talk more about Matt's recent week here at Shop Talk in Vegas, his big takeaways from that. Uh, as always, we'll have a tweet or two for you and one to watch in the coming week. But we're starting this week with another installment of Between Two Fools. For more than 20 years, Buck Hartzell has been helping us invest better here at The Motley Fool. In fact, Buck ran my analyst development program back in my early days here at The Fool, and he's played an instrumental role in helping me become the investor I am today. Recently, Buck and I sat down in the studio here to dig deeper into a company that's garnering a lot of interest uh, from our listeners and our members, Boston Omaha. So, Buck, first things first, what is Boston Omaha? Got to admit, I'm a little confused by the name, but what is the company and how do they make their money? Yeah, uh, so Boston Omaha is a conglomerate, but it's a mini conglomerate. And the two main principals that run the business are Alex Rozak and Adam Peterson. And one of them lives in Boston, and the other one lives in Omaha. Adam lives in Omaha, and Alex lives in Boston. Now so it makes perfect sense. Thus the name. And when they put in for their ticker, I'm told they didn't want B-O-M-N, but bomb. I figure, like, that kind of that the cell recommendation, I mean, it writes itself. And you recommended bomb to you? Sure. Yeah. It's the bomb. But it's a good business. Yeah, right. It is the bomb. Yeah, so that's that's Genesis the name. It, so I mean, but they are. It, this is an interesting company because it, yeah. you know the question pointed towards a little bit more about you know what's the surety side of the business, but there's also a billboard side of the business, which I, I have to yeah. admit when yeah. when you presented this, you pitched the stock to a big group yeah. of us, and I, I mean it was a neat story. I, you know, I get in this age of yeah. technology, I still get billboards. I right. understand. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but it also seems like the surety side of the business is. Uh, Compelling. Yes, it is. It it absolutely is. And so, one thing it's a it's kind of weird juxtaposition of those two businesses. You don't find many businesses that own billboards and are also <laughs> insurers. You know, I don't even think Berkshire does. But I mean, they have a lot of businesses. I don't think they own billboards, to my knowledge. But anyhow, um, you know, Adam and Alex are capital allocators. They're just getting started in this game. I think they've made about thirty acquisitions to date, so they've spanned a variety of different places. But the cool thing about both of these businesses, both billboards and surety, and we'll talk more about surety because I think people get billboards, um, are they they both have good economics, yeah. right? And billboards is one of the few places in advertising where it's actually growing and they're becoming more meaningful and it and works very well. As we know what's happened in newspapers and magazines and some of those other places, um, billboards have held up very well. And uh, But to get back to insurity business, um, it's a part of the insurance business with some u- unique economics. Um, first of all, uh, when you look at insurance, you want to know what are the loss ratios yeah. in those particular businesses. Surety has the smallest loss ratios of any of the PNC property and casualty businesses. So it's about, on average, the industry averages 30% loss ratio. And to give you some context, like auto insurance is usually a 75% loss ratio. It's been worse the last couple of years. Um, homeowners is 71%, commercial is 61%. So you get down to the bottom of the list, and surety is only a 30% loss ratio. Which makes it a pretty compelling business. That yeah. is, and I mean, just yeah. to think about that for a second, because we talk about those loss ratios a lot, and like the combined ratios with companies, you know, like Markel or whatever insurance yeah. we're covering. And I mean, it that that really is compelling. I think from a number of angles. I mean, thirty percent on the surety side versus somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy five percent on the auto side. Yes. And having worked at an insurance company in the auto division, I mean, I right. get it. I couldn't yeah, yeah. believe how many wrecks there were out there. Yeah. What do you think it is about surety? that keeps those loss ratios so in check? Well, it's interesting. When you look at that business, I think right now, roughly, there are about 10,000 different commercial surety bonds that are out there floating around. 
And um, uh, so one example maybe gives helps to give some examples of what these are actually used for. Right. If, 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 if you open up a restaurant and it's your first commercial business, commercial restaurant, you have some options. And one of those is usually you have to float some kind of surety bond that when you get electricity and all that kind of stuff hooked up that says, hey, this person's good and they're going to make good on all their stuff. And so you have that bond. You also... Um, familiar with other small business owners that may come and fix your house or do different things, and they'll say license and bonded, right? That's a surety bond that they get. And usually these things are kind of recurring every year. They're transactional in nature. And the other interesting thing about them is there's high distribution costs. And when, what that means is when you're a, you're an agent and you're selling these, and there's a lot of agencies that sell surety business and it's pretty profitable, they get about a 40% commission. Wow. And that's a huge commission on this business. So there's high distribution costs, and there's lots of small little bonds and things going in and out of the business. And so there's a lot of these that happen, and they're not big dollar items largely. There can be huge ones, like in the big dig for Boston when they do this huge project. You have, as a commercial um, developer, you have to have surety bonds that are associated with it. They wouldn't do those types of things. They're right. looking at more of the smaller ones that are transactional in nature that recur all the time and are very highly profitable. And what Boston Omaha has done is they bought up both the agencies, so they get that 40% commission when they sell them, but they also have some companies now that actually underwrite. So they do the underwriting. So they have the distribution side and the underwriting, and they'd like to pull those together and get both pieces of the pie. So that bonding you're talking about, I'm some just I'm a homeowner. I have a contractor coming over to do some work. That contractor is licensed and bonded, and that bond essentially gives me the comfort as a consumer that that contractor is going to be able to get that work done. And if for some reason the bottom falls out and something happens, I mean, I'm, there's still going to be a way for me to be able to make a hole. Right. right. And and here's the here's the weird thing. When people see insurance, they think about, oh, there could be catastrophes or there could be all these kind of things where I get these big losses. Because we know we follow a lot of insurance sure. companies and there's been some catastrophes, wildfires and things like that that have happened. Um Surety is a weird type of insurance. It's it's much different, and it's and it's a it's a three party agreement, and basically the ability of the principal demands that there be no no claims on the surety bond. So there's a built in incentive um, by the person, the principal, to minimize claims. Makes sense. Unlike other thing, if you buy insurance, something happens to your car, you're like, okay, here you go, I got to get it fixed. You know what I mean? This one, they don't want to actually use it. That's and 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 so that's why you see the thirty percent loss ratio. And the the best thing about it for Boston Omaha is the company that they bought, which primarily did insurance in Massachusetts, but now it's going nationwide. Okay. Their loss ratio has averaged one percent. Wow. And I had some numbers down here at some point, but uh, they did. <laughs> um, they're usually around one percent or less in a given year, which is it's. Phenomenal, right? That is, that is. Now, but that's the part they're targeting, that kind of transactional nature. There's typically not losses on that. Gotcha. So, you know, we talked about the fact this is a capital allocation story. We've talked yep. about the fact that there are uh, – they, they have a history of acquisitions, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 acquisitions at this yep. point to build this business up. Yep. Um, I, I know you like management. We talk about a- right. or we talk about Adam. We talk about Alex, yep. right? And, uh, you know, you we, we obviously – talk about management a lot here at The Fool, I think you have really learned as much about this management team as anybody else at this company. Talk a little bit about to us and the listeners. What do you think makes these guys so special? Why do they work well together? Yeah. Well, interestingly, they um, they didn't grow up as friends. Some other people they had known as acquaintances said, did you know each other? And they didn't. They both managed money, so they had their respective uh, partnerships that they managed. Then it came along at one point in time, they realized that they were both the second and third largest shareholders of a 
company in common. So I think it was Alex wow. that actually reached out to Adam and said, hey, we should get together. And so they did. And so they invest, hit it off. investing brought them together. Yeah, it brought Much them, like it, it brought us together. Right, exactly <laughs> right. And they, and they hit it off. And their conversations led from what they like in companies to some of the struggles and things that they've had from being passive investors and kind of trying to manage the companies from the backseat, driving from the backseat, we call it. And um, they started, they eventually got around to, what if we build our own company? What would we do different? How would we organize it? And those conversations went down the pike. And then sure enough, in 2015, they ended up uh, buying a small company and that became what is now Boston Omaha. And they're both in the driver's seats. And I think one thing that separates them is they're, they're servant leaders. So they each for the first, well, I think from 2015 until the beginning of this year for 2019, they each connect, uh, only took um, minimum wage, so about $23,600 a year. Um, Alex now earns a salary of 275000 Adam is still taking minimum wage. But they took care of the people that ran their respective businesses, the surety business and gig, which is general indemnity group. That's the insurance business and the billboard business. Um, and they paid them first. And so as they're scaling up the business and approaching profitability and all that kind of stuff now, now they can bring their um, their salaries into, into play. The other thing that's very unique is they're good at set, setting incentives for yeah. people. And so they have it set up that their their goal is to grow book value. And then above a level, like 6%, they take 20%. And that creates a bonus pool for the whole company that they can allocate to whoever they think is doing a very good job. And so they have a lot of skin in the game. They own most of the stock. They've been responsible for, I think, seven capital raises now. And they've put that together in a very prudent way. And they're creating a company that they want to spin a lot of cash back to the headquarters that they, they can then reallocate to, to other ideas. One of those great lessons we learned from Charlie Munger back in the day, beware the power of incentives. Seems so simple, but Absolutely. then when you start going back and looking at them, that dictates every behavior from there on forward, yep. doesn't it? It's huge. And I think from the people that we've seen and I've been impressed with, I went to their second annual meeting up in Boston. I jumped on a plane here, went up and um, got some lobsters up there and sat <laughs> in their – I think it was their second ever um, annual meeting. Uh, interesting shareholder base, interesting board was all there. And um, I think this is something they're trying to build the right culture to do the right thing and create a lot of value for shareholders and themselves. Well, we certainly know the value of culture. Uh, Now, other than the obvious rising stock price, growing book value, I mean, those are the signs we look for for success. But do you have any other signals? What are some other signs of success that you feel like – uh, tells you as an investor because you own shares in this business. Yep. We know Matt Frankel uh, owns shares in this business. I think after what I'm hearing from from all of you guys, I'm probably going to buy a few shares myself. <laughs> but what what are you keeping your eye on as far as the signs of success? Yeah, yeah, uh, signs. And they have a billboard business, so that's, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that was that's unintended. No, no, that's good. <laughs> um, no, I'd, I'd say like here's the thing: they're going to have to allocate capital, so we want them to find more deals. We don't want them to force it, you know. So. They're, they have to stick to their price, so we want to see them stick to their guns. So we're looking at those, and and really, I think the last year was for the surety business, General Indemnity Group, was really about scaling and getting access to all the states, and that platform. That so that was about kind of building that platform last year. This year, we want to see start see some growth on the top end and writing more policies and doing all that kind of stuff and start to see that scale. On the billboard business, it's going to be lumpy because it's going to be fueled by acquisitions. Yeah. And usually their model is somebody's been in this business, they own a decent amount of billboards, a family member dies or they need liquidity or they're retiring, and these guys come in and say, hey, we'll buy it. And so those deals come up when they do. This is a fragmented market. They can't predict when that's going to happen. 
Um, and of course, they've invested in a variety of other things, including real estate and some banks and home builders. And so they're opportunistic capital allocators. So we're just going to look at every new deal that comes down the pike and make sure it kind of meets their criteria. And the ultimate measure is going to be the growth of cash flow at this business over time, right? It sounds like it was a company that would never be boring to follow. No, it's going to, it's going to be something new, and you never know when it's going to happen. And by the way, their annual meeting is well worth your time. It's going to be in Boston this year. The following year, then, it's in Omaha. It's always a pain to get to here from Alexandria. <laughs> yeah. And I can't go this year. Uh, I already wrote him said I can't come along because my son's graduating that day. Oh, so. Priorities. Yeah, priorities. I know. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's wrap this up here. I know um, you've got a lot of great information there on leadership. We love founder leaders, servant leadership, and that's a lot. Um, of of the thesis, it seems early on at least. I mean, yeah. they're going to be really the crux of the success here. So it does seem like a jockey play, and not that that's a problem. There are a lot of companies out there that have been very successful in our universe as jockey play investments. You get to a point eventually where maybe you feel okay if if you know power is spread out or shared a little bit more. But at this point in the game, it does really seem like this is a jockey play. Um, is that a safe assumption? And if so, I mean. Two years from now, if one of these guys decides to move on and do something else, does that change how you feel about this business? Probably does. Yeah. Um, I think there's three people at headquarters, and they're two of the three, so <laughs> we, we don't want to see them uh, uh, lose anyone. And um, you know, these are young guys, so they're in their 40s. They have a long road ahead of them, and I think they have the right culture built. But I would, I would be worried if they left. Uh, I'm perfectly. You know, happy with the people that are running their individual businesses. They're they're very qualified, but this is a jockey play, and it, and it would worry me if one of them left. I think what's more likely to happen, and what Alex did this past year, is he closed his partnership to outside investors. So he's only doing oh, okay. management money, and he's kind of overworking, kind of full time at at Boston Omaha. Um, Adam has not done that. He has Magnolia Partners. He has not closed that. He's still running it. My expectation is that in addition to buying whole companies, at some point in time, Boston Omaha is going to also be investing in securities. Oh, okay. And that is a little bit of a conflict of interest. So what I would expect that would happen at that point in time, once the business scaled enough, is that they would close their investment partnership, much like Warren Buffett did, and focus on the main business, which would be Boston of Omaha. But that hasn't fully that transition hasn't fully happened. But at least Alex has kind of done that. All right. That sounds like a really uh, interesting company from a lot of different angles. Yep. Um, I really appreciate you coming here. I know our listeners appreciate you coming in here and talking more about uh, Boston Omaha. Maybe down the line, we'll have more to talk about. And uh, who knows, perhaps uh, get Adam or, or Alex in here to talk with us as well. I'm yep. going to kind of rely on you to try to make that okay. happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, We're pretty busy, uh, but maybe we can get them to uh, call in. That'd be a good, that'd be a good conversation. That would now. be super. They can good. correct everything I said that was wrong. Well, I, I, let's hope that's a very short list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Buck Hartzell, thanks so much. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. And now joining me in the studio via Skype, back from Vegas. He looks like he's in one piece. He can see me. I can see him. Certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how was Vegas? It was good. I feel like I'm actually in the studio with you now because you're like right there looking at me. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little feeling. change. For listeners out there, who you know, we, we always connect via Skype here. Uh, I've always been able to see Matt, but Matt was never able really to see me, uh, which could make for some awkward pauses and difficult transitions. But maybe now, uh, you know, we'll we'll get a little bit of a a smoother uh, rapport going here. I don't know. I mean, I feel like we always kind of feel like we've always been able to make it work, though, right? 
We do, but now I can see when you're starting to talk, you can see when I'm starting to talk and yeah, things like that. It's a little bit more helpful, yeah, I guess. Um, listen, we're going to get into the 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 Shop Talk event that you went to uh, in Las Vegas. Before I do that, I mean, I've got to jump out here and just, you know, tip of the cap to my Wofford Terriers, Matt. I just telling you before we started saving these guys are now in the top 20. Basketball team is just on fire, having a great year. So, congratulations, Coach Young. You guys got a big game tonight at the, the Southern Conference Championship against UNCG. So, uh, wishing Wofford all the best there. And then uh, also on forward, as they have most definitely sealed a bid for the big dance. Going to get some March Madness going on in Spartanburg here real soon, I think. Uh, now, on to the real stuff, the business at hand, Matt. Uh, this this was something you attended Vegas. You get to go a couple of times a year, it sounds like, for uh, conferences. You go to the Shop Talk Conference, the Money 2020 Conference. This, the Shop Talk, I'm, I'm a little bit less familiar with it, um, but it sounded pretty cool. What were your big three takeaways from your week at Shop Talk? Well, Shop Talk's a retail conference, so... That's probably why it's not really in <laughs> on the surface. It's not in our wheelhouse, but it um, one of the big themes is payment processing, which is why I started attending it a few years ago. Well, that's right in our um, wheelhouse then, right? So, um, but the themes kind of have shifted this year a little bit, which I was surprised to see when I got there. Uh, I went with Dan Klein, who's one of our consumer goods guys, and he was thrilled to see the shift. Um, the main focus of the show seemed to be more logistics than payment processing. There were some really cool stuff on display there. Um, we saw one company, um, let me see, I have the name right here, called Takeoff Technologies that makes robotic picking centers for to fill online grocery orders. Oh, wow. In other words, there's not a person who gets the orders. There's like a carved out space of the grocery store that's set up for this. And there's a little robot that goes to all the shelves, fills the order, and puts it in bags. So no one even has to do anything. And um, we were asking them where... Like, how far is this from being rolled out? And it's actually live in two grocery stores in Florida. Um, Albertsons is their biggest client. I'm going to tweet out a picture of the little the picking robot, which is what brought us over there in the first place. Um, so logistics is definitely a big theme. You know, how can we run our business more efficiently? Less square footage, which is, has been a huge theme of retail over the past few years. Yeah, um, A lot of companies have really done a great job of reducing their square footage. Best Buy is one that immediately comes to mind that's really done a good job of maximizing the efficiency of their space. So it seems like grocery stores and a lot of other, you know, pretty much every other aspect of retail is trying to do that. So that was theme one. Theme two is just improving the customer experience. Um, Dan and I were walking down, they have a startup aisle of all the startups that are trying to like pitch their ideas to investors and, and, you know, new potential customers. And we saw one app that uses your phone sensors to measure yourself when you're buying clothes online. Huh. I don't know about you. If, you, <laughs> if you're like me and you order something online, it's optimistically a 50-50 chance that it's going to fit. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I guess. I feel like I've probably nailed it down to a few... Uh, places where I can get clothes now where I know the sizing works okay. Now, admittedly, that really does. I'm not stepping out of the box and, and growing my my wardrobe, so to speak. But you know, I mean, at this point, I mean, I'm basically an old man anyway. Who cares, right? Well, I get it, but I mean, <laughs> especially for my wife thought this was a really cool idea, just because you know she sends back you know 80 percent of the clothes she buys online because they don't fit right. No, I think it's a great idea. 
Yeah, you, you pretty much put your phone on, you know, 10 different parts of your body and it, you know, it's like had going to a tailor. Um, so things like that, like improving the customer experience were a big theme. And last in our wheelhouse, payment processing is still a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it's more just ways to do it better. Um, I went to Square's booth because, you know, that's the, la- <laughs> that's the last, yeah, well, last episode, that's the last thing I told you I was going right. to do. So I went, I walked over to Square's booth and they gave me, a, they're, they're really trying to push their hardware. They're, if you remember from their earnings, their hardware revenue had more than doubled year over year. Yeah. Um, and a big part of that is these new, their point of sale offering, their first, um, you know, freestanding point of sale system mm-hmm. designed to kind of bring larger businesses into their ecosystem. Well, that hardware is so the got, gateway drug, man. I mean, that's what gets people started. I know. Right? If it, and what they're building is after getting a demonstration is better than what the, than what I'm used to using when I go to the most stores. Well, that's good to hear. Um, yeah, their newest thing that um, I got a nice demonstration of is. Um, well, they have the register that faces the employee, and then you have kind of a smaller, like, customizable display, which um, the representative was telling me was a big pain point for a lot of businesses, not being able to control what the customer sees. Yeah. Like, you know, normally you just see a standard, like, want to add a gratuity, Do you want, here's where you sign, things like that. They can set it up so, say, like, a 30-second promotional video plays while they're while the, the, the credit card's running or something yeah, like that. Yeah, reinforce that branding. Right. So it's just a, a lot of new payment processing solutions. Squares was, I found the most interesting, but maybe I'm a little biased there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe we both are. We probably would have both gravitated over to the Square booth and spent half the conference there. But so, yeah, logistics, um, improving customer experiences and payment processing were the big themes. I always have a great time at this conference. It's it's, it's a it's really a show. They have a lot of like the grocery robot on display actually like, you know, picking some groceries. <laughs> a lot of cool stuff to see there. Well, I'll, so I'll I'll tweet out some pictures from it. It does sound a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun and I mean, I can assume am I assuming correctly you are you'll have some some uh, articles out there on fool.com soon or have you already got stuff up there? I will and I do. Um I know Dan has a few on the retail side. I up and coming out. I have one on Square on there trying to recruit bigger sellers already up and I have a few more in the works. So watch that and watch on my Twitter. Like I said, I'm going to tweet some pictures because you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about doesn't really make sense until you can see it. (laughs) Well, and let's, let's go ahead and just make it easy for our listeners just to remind them if they want to follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? I am at TMF as in the Motley fool math guy. TMF math guy. Very good. And we will retweet a lot of that stuff from our industry-focused Twitter feed as well. And speaking of our industry-focused Twitter feed, uh, I do have a fun little tweet that came up over the past week that I guess it really is a bit more relevant to the energy show uh, that that played last Thursday. But you know what? It, it was a good one, and I and I fear if we don't if we don't pluck this thing out and read it, it may, it may get it may just not not get read at all. So I'm going to go ahead and steal it, uh, Matt. And it's a tweet that came from Andy Courtright at a court wr eight, and Andy says, "I want to hear a Tesla smackdown." Between John Rosevere and David Gardner, a Tesla bear versus a Tesla bull. And Andy, I think I speak for everyone when I say we would love to hear that too. I think we would all be the better for it. And I have to believe it would make some good radio. What do you think, Matt? I agree. I think uh, Jason and I could probably go at that because I think we're on opposite (laughs) sides of that one, even though I'm not positive. Uh, But Maybe. I don't know. What side are you on there with Tesla? 
I'm a bear. Are you? No, I see. I, I, I'm not going to ever own shares of Tesla. I mean, I, I'm okay. a big supporter of what they're doing, but it's not a stock I want to own. It's just too many, too many, uh, too many things. <laughs> too many things can go wrong, and cars are just really difficult. Fair enough. My my thought with Tesla is just because something's a great product doesn't make it a great business. That's a good lesson. That's a very and, good um, lesson. That's kind of where I feel, but I I think John and and David would really that that could be a three round cage match right there. <laughs> That'd be a fun one. We're gonna start pushing for that one, Andy. Thanks for the tweet, and as a reminder for our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. So if you aren't following us, I'm not even gonna ask you why not. I'm just telling you, get out there and start following us. Send us your questions, your observations, and chances are we will probably call it out on the show. Uh, okay, Matt, it's that time of the week again. We're going to wrap this up with one to watch. What is your one to watch this week? Well, in honor of The Fool launching its new real estate brand in what? this week. Real estate yeah. brand? Yeah. Tell me more. Well, you haven't, um, if you remember, I think that was a couple months back when you had Maddie A on the show. Yeah. Um, but the time has finally come. Yes. And our new real estate venture starts tomorrow. Um, it's called Million Acres. Check it out. The site will be live at some point tomorrow. And I'm very excited for that. So in honor of that, and just because I think it's a great overall investment and a really great way to add diversification to your portfolio, I'm going to go ahead and recommend uh, a ETF that focuses on real estate investment trusts. Oh, nice. It is the Vanguard REIT ETF ticker symbol VNQ, and it's a really low-cost way to get exposure to some of the best real estate investment trusts in the market without a lot of expense and without a lot of knowledge. So if you're looking to tiptoe into real estate and add it to your portfolio, that's a really good way to start. Yeah, great way to get exposure there. I love that. Uh, Well, hey, you might see me tomorrow then, because I helped Matty put together some of that uh, promotional material and the video that that, that is uh, announcing the the product, the, the service tomorrow, and we had a lot of fun putting that together. And I got to say, I was really impressed with how um, how in depth not only the content is really, but the ideas. I mean, it really it really covers uh, covers the spectrum there. A lot of different ways to invest in real estate, and um, I'm sure you guys are going to have a blast with it. Um, I'm going to be looking at DocuSign this week. Ticker D O C U. DocuSign earnings uh, come out on Thursday the 14th, and if you don't know what DocuSign does, they offer e-signature solutions for uh, businesses to digitally prepare, execute, and act on agreements. Um, More and more, I believe this is how business is being conducted. If you've ever bought or sold a house here recently, chances are you've probably signed something uh, with DocuSign. It is a very clever solution, very easy to use, and it's becoming adopted by more and more uh, as a as a, a a legitimate way of doing business. Right? I mean, I can remember a long time ago where. Uh, you know, we would submit offers for a house, and it actually had to be faxed. I, I mean, I couldn't figure out why in the world, but there was something that just said it, it had to be faxed. And I, I think we're we're kind of moving beyond that now. And DocuSign is a company that's really helping to uh, to blaze that trail. And you know, the stock is not really supported by any fundamentals, and by that I mean the business is not profitable yet. It's not cash flow positive. I mean, if you back out that stock based compensation. Uh, so for me, I'm kind of hoping we maybe see this stock go on sale because I've got it at the top of my watch list. There, I'd love to add it to my portfolio. I'm just waiting for the right time. Uh, but I think that'll about do it for us this week. Uh, Matt, great seeing you again. Glad you got back from Vegas. Okay, sounds like you had a good time and appreciate all that great information regarding uh, shop talk. 
always good to be here. Maybe, I don't know if I'll see you in Vegas next or up there next or wherever, but I'll see you somewhere soon. Sounds good. (laughs) And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel and Buck Hartzell, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. We'll be right back. 